0: Hey, what's going on, Trailblazers fans? This is the Blazers Edge podcast, part of the SB Nation Network. I am Dan Morang, your co-host. As always, just a quick reminder, you can find us on Stitcher, on iTunes. Make sure you like make sure you subscribe. That way you can always be up to date. And, you know, find your Blazers Edge and Blazers Focus whenever you need it. As always, I'm joined by Managing Editor of Blazers Edge, Dave Deckard. And man, it's been a busy week. Uh, we've had some injuries, we've had trades, and we'll kind of get right into it. Dave, uh, where are we at now? After kind of wondering what was going on this season, it's been pretty busy the past 72 hours.
1: We are down a Plumlee and up a Nurkic, And uh, <laughs> I guess that works out okay. Uh I'm I think it's a good move. I mean, given the team situation, uh, this would not have been necessarily a great move with where the Blazers seem to be over the summer. But considering that the team is underperforming or regressing or whatever you want to call it, and it looks like any advancement in the playoffs and perhaps even making the playoffs is, is just a fond pipe dream. Uh, this would be the kind of move you need to make. Why? Because you were not going to sign Mason Plumlee again. You would double or triple between two and three times his salary. So basically, he was going to become a restricted free agent. Somebody was going to offer him $13 million a year, and you were going to end up paying $50 million in real dollars. Cannot do that don't care how much you like him don't care what he did i mean you would you would swallow hard paying that much real money for hassan whiteside you cannot pay it for uh plumley so they basically dealt him um because they they weren't going to have him back uh given that getting a first round pick was a huge bonus and they got a Nurkic on top of it so uh, i think they did pretty well how about you dan
0: yeah, I mean, you throw a Nurkic on top. I mean, that makes everything better. I, I don't really
1: yeah, know what a Nurkic is. Add <laughs> a little Nurkic, to everything. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean you're good. having a bad day. Just Nurkic. Yeah, that's, right. a, that's kind
0: of how I'm rolling with it. I mean, he was
1: wearing. Okay, <laughs> I, I, I get this. I'll tell you. I'll tell you, Dan. This is what should happen. It's like this Blazer fans just walk and fist bump each other and just go Nurkic. Make your day better.
0: I mean, it's just it's the, it's the rallying cry of the season now. Nurkic. It's uh, <laughs> when you look at this deal and I've kind of talked about it a lot over the last couple months, Mason Plumlee was a sunk cost that you weren't going to be able to retain. So the only way to get anything out of him was to trade him before the deadline. And that's exactly what Neil O'Shea did. Now... Neil O'Shea put himself in that position to where he had to do that, but you have to compliment him for what he got out of this. I know a lot of people didn't think he would even get a first-round pick, let alone a decent first-round pick. Right now, that pick could be anywhere between 17 and 23, depending on how the Grizzlies finish out the season. That's not bad. Not too bad. Uh, yeah, and
1: also you you think about combining those picks and moving up, exactly. which is something that's always said, but, you know, if, if somebody a few spaces higher— thinks the draft is fairly flat you got a chance and remember the Blazers have been pretty close to a couple of spectacular players in a couple drafts and this draft is supposed to be pretty good so I mean worst case scenario you hope to replace some of the mid-level guys that you already have with cheaper mid-level guys from the draft but there's a possibility that you could do something with it. Of course, it's always dangerous with the Blazers talking about possibilities because there are far more possibilities than actually moves that pan out. But, yeah, I, for one, was surprised, as you know, that Denver would give up Nurkic, let alone Nurkic in a pick, for just Plumley. I mean... One, they may have, I guess they really value Plumlee, but looking at the numbers, I mean, the, the two aren't that far separated. It's not like Plumlee is head and shoulders above Nerditch. Uh And he's going to cost more in about four months. So I don't know. I, I wonder if they just didn't want the guy out.
0: Yeah, and that's what, what we're kind of hearing about coming out of Denver is that there were, may have been some some personality conflicts or butting of heads. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk to Adam Maras from Denver Stiffs here in a little bit about not just Nurkic as a player, but kind of what he's been in that organization and his time there. The fact that, that Neil O'Shea was able to get both a pick and a guy that is essentially, if, we're, if we go back in time here, this is Mason Plumlee 2.0. And not just, not just I'm not talking about the player, I'm talking about the situation. The Blazers gave up, what was it, the 23rd or 24th pick for Mason Plumlee. So if you're talking about Mason Plumlee right now, in the basketball sense of things, he the Neil O'Shea is a house flipper. He bought the property, he flipped it for another big that has potential, it's on a control contract, and he got a pick. So if you're looking about asset for asset, you could call it an improvement because you didn't know what you yeah. got in Mason Plumlee before. And what he turned into was probably better than what they anticipated. So they were able to take Prob- that and, and turn it into, into two yeah. things. So I think in that aspect, you got to kind of give Neil O'Shea a, a thumbs up on that aspect.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, this is a typical Portland deal, right? For the circumstances they're in, this is great, but it doesn't change the circumstances they're in. And those circumstances are not ideal. So, and those circumstances uh, it, were self created. Yeah. I mean, there's that. So I mean we won't belabor that but look in isolation th- and this is like this is every Neil Olshe deal basically mm-hmm. in isolation this is a good move the same way in isolation taking a step away from the cliff is is smart right get a little farther away from it when you <laughs> how many times <laughs> have you had to leave the cliff side now though at some point you got to question the overall strategy but now is not that time I mean it, again this this is a good move this is what the Blazers should have done in the circumstances in this circumstance and this is this is better than I thought the Blazers could do in this circumstance with this team with Denver so hey I mean thumbs up in that sense now let's talk about Nurkic particularly I mean the guy's seven foot tall 280 pounds okay so this is this is two eighty
0: like I'm 220
1: <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> yeah and cruising upward I mean have yeah. you seen his dad Oh man, (laughs) I forget that. I think we should put his dad in uniform. No one's coming in that paint.
0: (laughs) Bosnian beast is about an accurate and apt description of a human being as I've seen in quite some time. He is an absolute monster.
1: He's big. So uh, return perhaps to a little bit of Robin Lopez defense, right? I mean, you've you've got to switch the scheme back a little bit, right? Because I don't think Nurk is going to be running out to the three-point line to hedge on a lot of screens and then getting back.
2: That's that's just not happening.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So it's back. It's going to be ice, ice, ice all day long. For listeners who don't know, that's, you know, when when you hit a screen, the center just basically fades back into the lane to prevent uh, the dribbler from getting to the rim. Uh which is which is what the Blazers did essentially with with Lopez They they switched that up a little bit toward the end, but mostly you're you're gonna see Robin Part two, uh space eating in the lane. The guy's not a shot blocker. Uh he's gonna get more practice in Portland probably than he did in Denver. Uh but he he's not he's not necessarily an intimidator with his with his skills with his what would you say aggressiveness instinct but that body makes up for a few sins
0: okay I've got to back this up did you just say ice 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 and not follow it up with baby because
1: No, why? I am
0: so disappointed right now I, I I was like oh man is he really going to work vanilla ice and glacial pace about Nurkic no and that's sins? And yeah it no, fell that's... short on both on both I, I...
1: So sorry, I was trying. You know, this is about Nurk. This is not about me or my sense of humor. I want to. I want. to I want to. uh you, As long as Nurkic doesn't turn out to be, uh, you know, d- just incompetent in the lane yeah okay no don't oh <laughs> no no you did not that's yeah uh, party foul you cannot say that name on this podcast oh, no man. he he's better than that but then that bar is like that bar is underneath the ground <laughs> you God, can fall down man. on your face and still clear that bar uh, that okay like no gas line. yeah he's not that uh so look this is going to change a little bit, probably, of what the Blazers do on defense, but what they were doing on defense wasn't working. It wasn't. My worries. Yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, that also is an understatement. But uh, my worry uh, is that, okay, so Nurkic is in there. What's he going to do? And I'm curious to see. I'm curious to see, a. If, when he gets the minutes, when he gets the role and responsibility he wanted in Denver but did not get, will he live up to it? And will this make Portland's defense look better? This guy, the best adjective I could find to describe his defense was spotty. Now, he's not being brought over to be a savior. I don't think anybody thinks he's going to be that. But he needs to be a little bit more than spotty in order to, in order to have any effect on this team, I think.
0: Yeah, I honestly just taking the trade and what who won and who got what out of it, I'm legitimately excited for Nurkic because he's a 22 year old big who's a legit seven footer who eats space. And mm-hmm. if anybody's been following me for a while, I kind of go back to some of these throwback guys that are just big dudes, there's just something to be said. Everyone wants to talk about how the NBA is getting more athletic and more mobile and there's positionless basketball. And the one thing that distorts all of that is size. If you've got yeah, somebody that's just a big dude, there's, there's nothing you can do. There's no amount of speed or quickness or switching that you can come up with. that's it's going to combat seven foot one, 300 pounds. It just doesn't happen.
1: We the, the Blazers were playing kind of a little bit positionless. I mean, Plumlee was the center. OK, he he was in the middle of the floor. He was passing the ball. But he wasn't exactly a traditional center. And they certainly were trading on quickness more than size, mobility more than size. They had no size, basically. Uh, but the problem was positionless became defenseless for them. <laughs> so it, it, it can't be worse. There's a whole lot and- less there. Yeah, and Nurk gives them something that they did not have, and they traded away a fine specimen of what they had a lot of, but certainly not the only guy who can move around. Now, uh, Plumlee was the only big who can pass like that, probably, although Myers Leonard is not shabby, but... I think the Blazers will give up that passing. And by the way, you got to watch out for Nurkic's turnovers. That's one of the things about him that you might have to get used to a little yeah, bit the when creased. he gets to. Yeah. When he gets the ball in the middle, he's not going to be flipping it past. You'll be lucky if he doesn't flip it right into the, uh, right into the opponent's hands. But uh, still, I mean, I think you got to take your shot with a guy like this. Now, offensively, what do you like about him?
0: Offensively? It's, it all starts with the size and the footwork. He's he's basically a big bear with ballerina feet. He's got great footwork. Um, he's incredibly strong. He can step out and knock down a jumper. And we've we've seen Denver a few times this season, and both Nurkic and Jokic have absolutely destroyed Portland. They've dominated the inside. And if Nurkic can come in here and do that for any period of time, it'll be the first period of time since Robin Lopez left, that the Blazers have had a physical presence that dominated in the interior. That's something to be said right there. And that's not just on defense. That's offensively too. He can, he just by the sheer, his sheer mass, he can control the offensive backboards and he's incredibly good at it. And he's to go with that footwork. He can finish with either hand. He's got a baby hook. He's got a little up and under. uh, He's got a step through. He's got a drop step. He's, I mean, you, you can check all the boxes, Uh, so for me, I'm, I'm excited to see that. Like I said, I'm a little bit old school in that, in that tendency is that I love big man footwork. I love the post game. I don't want to see it die because I think that there's still a, even in the analytical community, there's still not a lot truly known about how effective size can really be in the NBA.
1: Yeah. I I would, I would say he's got good footwork when he uses it. And this has been part of the problem is that he's not incredibly consistent, and more so this year than in the past. Obviously, this is one of the things. Okay, so this year he's shooting 50.7% from the field. Last year that was 41.7%. I mean, okay, he's got to stay at this level. Right? He's got, and now. Granted, last year he was he was farther outside on the court. That was part of it. I mean, he's taken more in the not exactly mid range, but short range shots. The 10 to this year shots. He's, yeah. This year he's closer, right? Um, and and he will be able to be for the Blazers too. So and and, and shots off offensive rebound of of obviously huge. So th- we have no problem just as we had with Plumlee, when he's when he's three feet from the hoop, this guy is going to be fine. The question is consistent scoring from a little more range so that he can be an offensive threat that draws attention so that now the perimeter players have more room to work. If he can concentrate, if he can play with confidence, and he can employ his natural gifts and his footwork, I think he has the potential to put some pressure on the opposing defense. But if he turns into an inconsistent turnover machine, then the Blazers are going to be stuck because the, the Plumlee was a hidden outlet in the offense. He, he You didn't see the numbers that often, but the Blazers knew they had one more guy they could throw to who could at least move the ball, if not put the ball in the bucket. They do not have that with their other wings. Their other wings are a little bit dead space. Now, Evan Turner's not, but like Al Farouk Aminu, you do not expect much good to happen when he catches the ball unless he's hot. Mo Harkless, a little more, but he's still not going to be a facilitator that much. And, and a lot of the other bigs, not as well. So look, you, you've now lost one of your outlets in the offense. Nurkic doesn't have to replace that, but he can't be entirely a black hole and he can't be unproductive. Otherwise, they're going to lose a little bit of that hidden strength that their offense usually provided.
0: I'd say as a counterpoint to that, that the fact that you can throw the ball into Nurkic and he's a legitimate threat, and we're not talking about a, a dynamic post presence that you have to account for in every possession. But he's a guy that if you throw the ball to on the block and there's a mismatch, he's going to attack it. Where the Blazers right now, they don't really have that opportunity to save somebody like Evan Turner. That's that's really the Blazers' biggest mismatch on the post right now as far as a consistent scoring option down low. With Nurkic, if you give him the ball and he has a mismatch, he's going to attack it. And that's a good thing for Portland because it gives them... Another option, another way of attacking a defense, and it shapes a defense differently. You can't help off of a guy like Damian Litter, just CJ McCollum. That's something we haven't seen since LaMarcus was here. Throwing the ball down, remember how many open threes those guys got, Dame, Nick, Wes, from just throwing the ball down to LaMarcus, even if a double team doesn't yeah, come.
1: You can't compare Nurkic to Aldridge, though. I mean, No, just the, the, the mere threat
0: of, of having a post-opportunity.
1: Like, yeah. I get what you're saying, but I still suspect at first and probably for a while, opponents are going to say, "Okay, yes, we know this guy can score some, but we're okay with him trying to beat us. Seriously, we'll leave him single covered and uh, let's see if he can do it. And let's see if what he does really ends up hurting us. I think it's going to take a while for him to develop that now. If he does, obviously that's fantastic. And that's part of what this is about, right? This is about potential. This is about a 22 year old. And if as a 26 year old, he's become that guy, Obviously, the Blazers did very well, but I don't expect him at 22 to be able to handle that. And frankly, I don't expect opponents to respect him that much at first. I think there's more potential for the offense to suffer in the short term uh, than than to prosper in the short term. Not to say it can do either, but if you're asking me odds, I think it's going to be a little more of a struggle than it is an easy transition.
0: The way I look at it is... It, goes, it can go one of two ways. It could be that they dare him to score. Well, that means that he's getting single covered. And that gives him the opportunity to grow and develop in that post game, Or that the defense sags down a little bit, which gives something to Portland they haven't had in the last couple of years. To me, it's, it's not necessarily about comparing him to, to Aldridge or not or how successful he is. It's just another wrinkle that Portland just hasn't had. There's... Yeah. they, the least amount of post-ups in the entire league for the last two yeah. seasons. I mean, and, it, and people can argue analytics about how effective that play is or not. It's not necessarily always about how effective the play is about as it is about shaping the defense. And I, the, that to me is the most important aspect here.
1: Yeah. He has the ability to bend it in a way that other Blazers did not because they were real similar. I mean, they had different skills, but look, Ed Davis, Mason Plumlee are not going to give you that many wrinkles. Uh, Myers-Leonard does, but then he hasn't been producing. Uh, Al Farouk Aminu cannot go down there in the post. I mean, at his best, he's probably shooting threes. So you're right. You haven't got, it's like you have Einstein's gravity. You haven't got that gravity well down there in order to bend the defense. Still, if I'm the defense, I'm just not bending. I'm looking at him and saying, "Yeah, go ahead, take shots from Lillard and McCollum. Let's see. Uh, let's see if you can put him in. Let's see what happens." And by the way, uh, I'm going to try to turn you over. I'm trying to try to get in your head, and uh, and you know, uh, we'll we'll see how it turns out. But basically, uh, my message would be: d- don't judge this trade off of Nurkic at 22. Uh, judge it off of him at 24, 25, and we'll see oh, what absolutely. happens. And speaking. Any yeah, big man, if
0: you're talking about that, I mean, unless they're a transcendent big, it's just not going to happen immediately. Yep. And that's that's the thing is that and that's what Portland's put themselves in a position to do again is capitalize on another young big. So, well, we'll, see well
1: that's to one another. way to look at it. The other way to look at it is the Blazers have had to reset a little bit, and will probably, in order to keep their their payroll sane, have to reset more because they're still. This does not solve their luxury tax issue. Really, it might keep them tiptoeing the line. uh, If they make if they make the right moves, I think they still have to dump salary. We'll look into that. Off
0: the repeater, I think I'd have to take
1: a look. Yeah, exactly. We're we're, we're literally literally, splitting
0: dollars here at this point, though.
1: Yeah, exactly. They are so close. that, And we'll have to see where that line is, frankly, too, when the new cap is set, for sure. So, look, this doesn't solve their problems. What it does is it, it delays them. You know, you, you don't lose Plumly for nothing and uh, you, you get a much cheaper contract, which is, frankly, part of what this was about. Uh, but... It's a reset button on the scheme that did not work in this generation to to all apparent views. I mean, look, you have Lillard and you have McCollum. They're obviously working out. Nothing else is really working out for sure. At least not that well. And so what this is is kind of a bailout. Like, okay, let's get rid of the old. Let's recycle and get buy another three years. The problem with that, of course, is Lillard and McCollum are not staying still. They're getting older. So when we talk about Nurkic at 25, now we are talking about Lillard and McCollum starting to, you know— yeah. and later, you know, it, it, it takes them four years, as you say, to develop a big and they have to reset their forwards in similar ways. Uh, you better help these bigs develop pretty quick because you're going to run out of contract and you're going to run out of prime. You're going to run out of Yeah, it seems weird to be talking about that but we're getting old. Dame Dame is not Dame is not a young guy anymore. He's starting to be a full-fledged player. So, you can't keep resetting beneath him.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about a four-year guy who's entering his fifth season, yeah, it's pretty crazy how fast that can go. It's all of a sudden, Yeah, and and
1: contract. Yeah. Contract. His contract does not last forever, as long term as it was. So let's wait four years. Damian Lillard does not have four years to wait, and neither do the Blazers.
0: Yeah, no, and that's that's really the interesting point here. I, I think that while as much as I'm excited about the arrival of, of Nurkic, um, the one thing that I, I've always harped on is keeping that that cupboard stocked, and that draft pick to me is. As equal, if not more important, to the Blazers' future for the long run than Nurkic. Nurkic may have the potential, but there's because the draft pick is such a not necessarily tangible, but such a fluid asset. In that, it it can be used in so many different ways, and you kind of got it in your back pocket. That's that to me that the fact that they were able to to get both those out of this deal kind of makes me give this the two thumbs up deal uh, or two thumbs up on for, yeah. for the entire deal.
1: Yeah. I'm circled back around and, and Denver's I, they've got a screw loose, but uh, let's, ask, <laughs> let's actually ask uh, our guest uh, Adam Morris from Denver stiffs about that. Let's cut over to him and see what he has.
0: And now we're joined by Adam Morris of Denver stiffs. He is the stiffest of Denver stiffs and uh, my good friend, mm. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, how you doing, buddy? <laughs>
2: Man, I'm, I'm doing very good. I'm actually doing excellent because I, I'm at Pepsi Center right now, actually. The Nuggets just got done wiping the floor with the Golden State Warriors. And my favorite Nugget of all time, Nikola Jokic, put up 17 points, 21 rebounds, and 12 assists. His second career triple-double, his second triple-double in two weeks. And just an incredible game. So I'm, I'm, I'm as good as can be.
0: Well, while we're talking about, you know, all the itches tonight, Jokic and Nurkic. Uh, <laughs> I, I should point out to everybody that is aware of the impending doom that Jokic is wrecking on the NBA. Adam Mares is the conductor of the uh, the Jokic train and has been for oh at least a year and a half. So everybody else who wants to hop on that bandwagon, go ahead and get on there. But speaking of another itch to scratch here. Uh, Nurkic, Mr. Yusuf. Kind of mm-hmm. go ahead and break down for us what you've seen from him from the organizational standpoint, how they kind of viewed him what he was looked at to be when they brought him in what he was when he left and then kind of your own your, your own personal take as far as uh, understanding his game and, and what he was to Denver and what he could okay. be for Portland.
2: Sure, well Nurkic is kind of your classic case of a guy that has a ton of potential and, and you, you see exactly all the stuff that could make him, uh, you know, a top 10 center in the NBA. And he's a guy that just, whether it was circumstance or, or you know, personality fit or, or just a series of things has kind of prevented him from that. But he certainly has a lot of upside. The funny thing, and I don't know how much, you know, Portland fans are just getting to know him, but his story is a hilarious one because he was discovered when his dad as a cop, you know, beat up like a dozen different guys all at the same time, seven feet tall, 400 pounds, very intimidating, Bosnian looking dude, beat up all these guys. And when the the newspapers came, there was somebody there that said, do you have any sons? And he's like, yeah, I do. I have this, this 14 year old. And they're like, well, if he's half as big as you, this we got to get this guy starting practicing basketball. They went and found, you know, Yusef Nurkic and he was a, a, enormous and they started training him. And next thing you know, he's in the NBA. So, He's—I mean—he's this <laughs> massive, intimidating dude with this ridiculous backstory about how he got playing basketball in the first place.
0: I mean, this is basically like bloodsport. Um, that's that's fantastic.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah, it's just, it's it's actually like one of the coolest roads to the NBA ever. His dad beating up these guys and then you know being discovered. But you know, to get onto his skill set. You know, on the defensive, I mean, he's more of a defensive guy than he is an offensive guy, although I do think he has some skills to be both. And as a defensive player, he's, three, you know, 280 pounds, seven feet tall, and really light on his feet. Surprisingly light on his feet for his, his size. He can really move left to right. Um, he's got great timing and anticipation. That's why he blocks shots so well. And he really has this, like, arrogance about him. That is both good and bad. The good part of it is he goes toe to toe his rookie season. He went toe to toe with guys like, uh, DeMarcus cousins, Mark Gasol, and even in, in, in games would get the best of them over quarters, just because he would kind of get in their head, get under their skin. And, 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 you know, he's just kind of a fearless defender in that regard. Um, He's got some weaknesses on the defensive end. He fouls a little bit too much. I think a lot of centers that are really skilled tend to reach a little bit too much and things like that. He's an incredible rebounder. I mean, he's the type, I mean, 280 pounds of solid muscle. This is a guy that you can't move off the block if he gets spot. So when he rolls to the basket, if you don't prevent him from getting to the rim early, he's going to stake out that spot, grab the offensive rebound and, and just kill you or even on the defensive end, if he gets his backside on you, you're not getting around him. He's just, he's just holding his spot there. So basically so he's a bigger he's Zach an, Randolph in that aspect. He is. That's actually not in that aspect alone. He's, he's, he's a lot like that, and he's an anchor. Uh, the only guy I've seen push him off of the spot is uh, Andre Drummond, I saw Drummond kind of like hip-check him and move him, and I think that's the only time in three years I've seen somebody move him off of his spot. He is just a beast.
0: Move him, not um, not uproot him or get him out of the way. Just move him. <laughs> that's basically yeah, two glaciers running like, yeah. into each other.
2: So you will, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, I, I know Portland can be pretty conservative with their offensive rebounding. Um, I think he's the type of guy that you don't really need to send a bunch of guys to the glass. You just let him kind of go there. And just by his sheer size, if the ball bounces his way, he's going to grab it because you just can't move him off the spot. So I do think he can be a good offensive and defensive rebounder for the team right out the gate. I think that will be the one skill that he never really lost or never really kind of had ups and downs with. When he was on the court, he was a very, very good rebounder. Um, offensively, you want me to go into some of the offensive yeah, stuff? Yeah,
0: please. Portland's been exposed to him in the sense that um, he moved Mason Plumlee, Ed Davis, and any other big body that the Blazers threw their way, uh, in the games that they played against yeah. Ed for this year, but they never, I don't think anybody really understands what he brings offensively. Cause they were just kind of blown away by how just physically they were manhandled by, by Nurkic and Jokic earlier this year.
2: Right. So here's my scouting report on him. He's got a pretty nice jumper from the elbows. He doesn't get a lot of lift on his shot as you can imagine, but he's got pretty good touch from from 15 feet that with confidence and with the green light to shoot it, I think he can be a very reliable elbow shooter. He can roll to the rim and finish really well. Again, if he gets momentum, he's actually he can actually jump for his size. I mean, he's not Mason Plumlee athletic, but he can for his size, he can really throw up and drop the hammer. Uh, on those rolls to the rim, uh, one of the problems he has is that he takes the ball up really, really, really uh, timidly sometimes for his size. I always say if he gets a, a mouse in the house sometimes on a roll, for whatever reason he 'll flip the shot up or hurry the shot out of fear of being blocked. He need, sometimes I think he needs to realize he 's the biggest, strongest guy on the court and just go right through a uh, six, seven defender that, that you know rotate it over to kind of stop the roll. So I think sometimes he forgets how big he is. And that's not just true on rolls. That can be true on offensive rebounds, too. He'll grab a rebound. You know, Chris Paul will jump up to block him, and he'll, like, hurry the shot. Um, but I think things like that, I think you can coach. I think you can kind of get a guy with, on the film and say, hey, man, look at this guy. You've got 60 pounds on him. Just go right through him and, and dunk it right on his head. So he does, for as strong as he is and as athletic as he is, sometimes he goes to his finesse game way too much on rolls. Uh, The biggest issue I have with him as an offensive player is that he really loves and trusts his post game when he really should not love or trust his post game. He's he gets himself down on the block. If he can make quick moves, he's got this great drop step to the baseline. Even with the left hand, he can, he has this nice drop step when he goes off of like one dribble or no dribbles, but he has a tendency to go five, six dribbles into a very predictable move that either gets an offensive foul or turnover. I think he has an incredibly high turnover rate on those plays. And uh, I, I feel like the more he dribbles, the more that becomes a problem. But more importantly than that is he goes to the post-up way too much. He And that's going to be an issue for Portland. I think it's going to be issue number one offensively is he can be a great pick-and-roll player, But that paint needs to be open for some of the guys you have that are great dribble penetrators, and he's kind of a bad guy at knowing how to stay out of people's way when they're driving to the basket.
0: You know, something that that Dave and I were talking about earlier is that, and this is kind of one thing that that I was looking at in particular, was his ability in the post, while it may conflict with the floor spacing in the the scheme that Denver ran, the, the lane for the most part in Portland is pretty much open all the time. And so throwing a post presence in there for really the first time in a while could be a wrinkle that does wonders for Portland. I I think that where it could be, it it could be one of those things where it could be a total conflict of interest, or it it could be a a diamond in the rough kind of a deal where they may get more out of this because it's not something they have. I mean, we were, again, we were talking about it earlier and that Portland's run the least amount of post-ups of any team in the past two years. I mean, they just don't do it. So just by virtue of having right. him there, does that, do you think in the sense that that could maybe give him, giving him the green light in those areas could help his growth or do you think it could stunt or not affect it at all?
2: I think I think you're looking at it probably the most optimistic way possible. And I, I, I think the answer is actually not, you know, can it work, but more can we get Nurkic to not post up too often? I mean, if he posts up four times a game, if he's playing 25 minutes, if he posts up four times a game, that's fine. If he's posting up, you know, 10, 15, 20 times a game like he likes to, I think you're going to be going away from a lot of the stuff that makes Portland so dangerous on offense. And with regards to him being in the way, here's the kind of thing I mean. Just imagine a side pick and roll. We'll say with Myers Leonard playing the four, and you've got Damian Lillard, a side pick and roll, and then Nurkic, his role would be to be in the opposite short corner, kind of dragging his defender out of the play, and then he's there for either the drop off or for the offensive rebound. Well, what he'll do way too often is duck in on that play. So Lillard comes off of the screen. He's now got kind of, he puts the defense in a tricky spot. Jokic or Nurkic ducks right into the way, and now Lillard runs right into Nurkic's man with no area for him to drop it off. And those are the types of things I, that I, I mean when I say that he kind of takes up too much space. And it's just about understanding, you know, post up angles and when to post up and when not to and how to keep how to how to make your defender, how to use your gravity so that your defender has to cover the most space. Um, those are things that I just didn't just have naturally ingrained in him. And I think my personal opinion is those are types of things that can be taught. But here in Denver, he just never made any progress on that. And, and when he was in the game. Nobody was scoring in the paint on Denver because he was there and he was always in the way.
0: You know, for, for anybody who isn't sure what, what Adam is, is talking about here when he's talking about the short corner, if you're talking about running the pick and roll on the right side of the floor, that short corner is that left-hand side in between the, the paint and the three-point line. And particularly a lot of young bigs struggle with this in that they want to get in the paint when that pick and roll is coming on on that other side, on that right side. When that drive's coming, they want to get in there because they want to get position for the offensive rebound or they want to catch the ball real quick or they want to duck in for that for that easy catch and, and finish. But I think, Adam, and you'll probably agree with me on this, is that the best guys in the league at this know to be patient and stay on the outside. To, yes. It gives both the driving lane and if the health defense does commit, it has to commit fully, which that extra step or two yep. – makes it easier for the finish on the backside of the play, which is something that's very, very simple, but also very hard to truly grasp as an NBA player. And it's one of those things where you want to know the difference between a good player and a great player. Those are the kind of things that developmentally have to kind of come along. Right.
2: Absolutely. And and it is weird because like you just explained what you're supposed to do and it seems so easy because you explained it in 60 seconds, but it's actually more of a it's a habit you have to build and an instinct you kind of have to develop, and it's one that he really hasn't made any progress on. Now, that might be the Denver you know, coaching staff or whatever, the environment or whatever, and maybe a good coach can really communicate to him. Because hey, I think what happens is you're talking about the paint being open, and the paint's open, and, and a smart player will say, ooh, it's open for Damian Lillard, who's about to come off the screen. What a not-so-smart player will say, ooh, it's open for me to cut into, and, and post myself up. And, and that's just what I'm talking about. He always posts right into there. And we'd have guys like Emmanuel Moutier, for example. I think Moutier shoots like 25% when Nurkic is on the floor. And a lot of that is because he keeps getting into the paint and running right into Nurkic and, like, bouncing off of him and throwing up a brick. So, again, it's so simple that I have to think it can be taught and he can get better at it. And he has all these other skills that if he learns that one thing, it's going to open up a lot. But it's been three years and he really never learned that out and that's why the the Nuggets offense comes to a, a standstill when he's on the court.
0: All right, so we've kind of gone over what he can bring to the team, the good and a little bit some of the bad, but in his time in Denver on the floor, what are you looking at as, as kind of the negative with Nurkic? Because there's in a guy like Mason Plumlee, it's being sent back to Denver. There's a negative that comes along with it. He struggles from the free throw line. He's right. an inconsistent shooter yeah. and finisher and all that kind of stuff. So when we're talking about Nurkic coming to Portland, what what are some of the things that, that Blazers fans should be aware of and, and be on the lookout for?
2: Well, there's two other like kind of positives I want to throw out there, and that is that he's a pretty good passer. He's not Mason Plumlee— um, he, he does tend to turn it over when he tries to get too fancy, but basic passes, backdoor passes, you know, dribble handoffs and passes out of the post. Kickouts, he's actually pretty good at those and he has kind of a surprising, uh, touch on it. I mean, he could throw lobs, for example, um, you know, with, with tremendous accuracy. So he can be a guy that can, that can have maybe 70% of the passing that Plumlee had. And then the other thing is he's such a huge body that when he wants to, he can be an incredible screener because, I mean, he's a wide body. It's hard to get around him. But the biggest issue with Nurkic, I actually believe that talent-wise, he has all of the tools to become a very good center. And I, I mean, his floor, just based on talent, is actually pretty high. Start, his starting center in this league. And his ceiling is probably top 10 center in this league. Um, but the biggest issue with him is this mental toughness and kind of ability to fight through adversity in my opinion, he faced such a tiny amount of adversity here in Denver. And sure, Jokic ended up showing up and and really outplaying him and taking some of the thunder. But he was a guy that I feel really needed coddled. And anytime things weren't going his way, and he wasn't the centerpiece, and this and that, he really kind of wilted uh, under that under you know under feelings of feeling left out. And there's been you know there was a there was a time his rookie season when he got selected to the rookie sophomore game and he really didn't want to go. And he kind of had a blow up in front of media uh, yelling at, at the front office saying, I'm not going to that game. That's stupid. And you think, well, why, w-? you know, it's just like that. Like, why do you want us to beg you to go to this game? You have to attend because you were selected um, weird stuff like that. He's been on social media, liking tweets where people are saying fire Malone, um, <laughs> you know, just w- just why expose yourself to that kind of public, you know where people are going to find these things out and and by the way those things happened after wins the nuggets would win but nurkic wouldn't play and it would be like fire Malone you know he's liking it so just really 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 weird stuff like that and then the weirdest one i think i think he's been checked out and just done with his team i think they probably had some kind of meeting behind the scenes that said you know look we're going to trade you don't worry and he said fine cuz i'm not playing and he left at halftime of 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 a game 2 weeks ago had to be dragged back to the arena, saying, "Hey, you can't just leave a game in the middle of the game. You have to, you have to be here for it." So, he's got some real, I, I think, attitude issues, and I don't think it. I don't think he's a jerk. I think his teammates like him. Uh, he's got a good personality. There's a lot of a lot of stuff to like. I just think that he doesn't know how to fight through adversity, and when things start going bad, he just completely quits. To be quite honest with you.
0: See, you stole my line, man. I wanted to go full on with it. You know, is Nurk a jerk? I mean, is it going to be a problem in this locker room? <laughs> because Portland, I mean, save the the jailblazers and the mini blow up between the Gerald Wallace, Jamal Crawford, Marcus Canby Blazers, locker rooms here have been pretty pretty darn good for a while now. Right. Um, right. Is his presence here going to be a an problem, issue basically? I don't think
2: he's going to be a problem. Like, I don't think he's not a guy. I don't believe that blows up a locker room and starts fights with teammates and this and that, like even with Jokic, him and Jokic got along great. So I don't think he's the kind of guy to kind of, you know, to do that kind of stuff. If anything, he would be frustrated with coach Stotts. You know, he's the kind of guy that, that maybe would go that route, but it's, it's less about his attitude as this, like negative presence and more about his, um it's more about his just inability to fight through and he has you know you're you're talking about a guy who's a project and can become good and the question is can he do can he fight through the adversity and push himself and be accountable to himself in a way that would make him uh reach his potential and i am very 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 firm in my belief that he will not do that and and that's based on what i saw of him here in denver now maybe a change of scenery will we'll kind of reinvigorate him. Maybe sometimes you have to reach the bottom before you really realize and look in the mirror and say, hey, this is my one shot. i got to make the best of it. Maybe he's there. But based on what I saw in Denver, I just think it takes a tremendous amount of work ethic and focus and talent and ability to fight through adversity, and I just haven't seen that from, from Nurkic really in any way in his three years here.
0: Well, that's just great. i'm like okay he's gonna build us something here it's gonna be like oh you know what it's it's bad but it's really not that bad and let me go ahead and drop the anchor off the edge of this boat oh man okay well i was hoping it on a bit of a higher note than that adam i mean i thought we were friends dude if you're a
2: portland fan i think you look at that and say you know these are intangible things he's talking about and they are and I don't know Nurkic. You know, I don't I I there are, I do know a bunch of stories and I've been around him. I've interviewed him when he's point blank said coach isn't playing me enough. And again, these come after wins, not even after losses. So I it, it's not secondhand accounts the attitude issue, but I don't know him and I don't know some of the things that maybe have happened behind closed doors that maybe led to him uh being this down on the nuggets and what they were doing. Um, you know, so it's, it's entirely possible that I'm misreading what's inside his heart and then, you know, kind of inside his soul, but just based on what, you know, putting everything together that I do know, my belief is that he probably will not overcome adversity the way he's going to have to, in order to make himself into an NBA player.
0: Well, there you have it folks. The glowing praise (laughs) from, from my friend and basketball savant, Adam Mares, (laughs) Uh, you can find him as the manager over at Denver Stiffs. He also contributes pretty much everywhere else on basketball Twitter. He a self proclaimed low <laughs> volume tweeter, so it's, it's all about the quality here, folks. A- Adam, thanks for joining us, man. Um, hopefully, you guys enjoy your uh, your your rent a Plumly, um, and things work out for you guys come contract time. And uh, you know hopefully uh you guys can if you guys do secure that eighth seed you guys can replicate uh tonight's effort against the warriors come playoff time
2: yeah that would be fun i'm having fun with the nuggets right now so uh, i it's all good right now
0: all right thanks folks remember you can find adam uh at at the denver stiffs and adam if you want to go ahead and plug anything else man go ahead
2: No, just at Twitter, at Adam underscore Marta's, and then I do a Friday call-in for ViceSports.com. Every Friday, it's kind of an in-depth thing on a player or on a team. I don't think I've written about Portland yet, so I probably have a Portland piece coming up sometime here in the last two months of the season. Um, But that's every Friday. It's a real in-depth thing with stats, video, uh, stuff like that.
1: Well, that was interesting. I mean, (laughs) I, I'm i struggling to recall since the jailblazers era when everybody had attitude questions, whether, and by the way, we shouldn't compare nerd to that uh, because it's, it's not the same deal at all. But most of the guys that have been brought in since Kevin Pritchard really, I'm trying to think if there's anyone that we had serious questions about their attitude or, or you know, I, I want to say motivation, but there were a couple of underperforming young guys that we hoped would perform better. But just in terms of personality and and, and drama, nurk, that might be a new part of the equation here.
0: Yeah, you know it's kind of strange when you think about it in that the the whatever you want to call it the rumor mill, when you're talking about Portland making a trade for somebody and some, a name like Nilin's Noel comes up, that was quickly kind of snuffed out and never totally attributed to Portland, but it was assumed that Portland was who they were talking about, and that Noel had attitude issues, and that that would preclude Portland from going after him. Well, if that's the if that's truly the case, um, what's the difference really between Nurkic and Noel?
1: Well, maybe expectations. Though I mean, uh, Brook Olsendam Dam of CSNNW just interviewed Olshay while we were while we're recording this sh- show. And the CSN's teaser, the headline said, basically, the most the ex- most exciting thing about this trade, according to Olshay, is getting a third draft pick. Uh, so, uh, welcome to Portland, Nurk. Um, it, it's possible that uh, it's possible that. The uh, the attitude might not be quite an issue because they don't expect him to be that big of a deal one way or another. We'll have to see, but but now let's let's follow that train a second though. If Nurkic is not the next big thing, and he may be, I don't want to discount that. Uh, don't don't get out the pitchforks and torches. We're not saying he's not. We're just exploring possibilities. If Nurk doesn't turn out to be the next big thing, does the door now open wide for your guy? Myers Leonard.
0: You know, as we're sitting here recording this, it's actually, there's four minutes left in overtime in the Atlanta-Portland game, and there's been oh, six or seven times where Myers Leonard has gotten a wide open three and bricked it. And the yeah, opportunity is, he, is here. It's here. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's it's kicked in the door, and it's screaming, I'm here! And he's not taking it. I, I
1: opportunities. It's, it's his freaking in law. I mean, <laughs> like it's it seriously, it won't it's, go home. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. It, it's camping out on his couch and it's eaten all of his Doritos. Um, at some point, Myers better come to a peace with this. But that said, okay, look, Myers goes up and down. He has good games and bad games. We get that that's part of the package. Should Myers get a longer term look now over the few weeks, month or so after the All Star break? And Get the chance to see if that evens out, if he has a real consistent role and regular responsibilities. Would you still advocate that, even though on any given game right now you can flip a coin, whether Leonard's going to be great or awful?
0: You know what? I hate to draw this parallel because it's really not totally fair, but I'm biased and I don't care. There was a time when C.J. McCollum was totally and completely just back and forth, up and down. You saw flashes of potential, and you saw him absolutely blow shots terribly um, when he was still a young project. Now, that's not the exact same case with Myers because Myers has been here longer in the sense that he's had more opportunities. CJ had a ton of injuries, but Myers is still coming off a of shoulder surgery, which takes a long time to come back from. Number two, you can point to no single point in his career in Portland where he's been given the keys and said, go. It happened once at the beginning of last year, and he got hurt. So, um,
1: we're going to ride this Myers train until I, it, I'm going to, until the until end it of this derails season. in the gorge. In I'm March, telling you until
0: yeah. the end of this season, this is, there's it, it, no secret that I'm team tank. And if team tank is going to do something here, you have to know what you have in your assets. And for me, that's playing the ever living crap on a Noah vonle and Myers Leonard. And the, well, thir- no, the third, the third like, guy thrown yeah, in that, that is,
2: you can
1: play the ever-living crap out of Vonley, but the crap is going to foul out in about 14 <laughs> minutes. So,
0: But, I mean, you put him out there. <laughs> yeah. Tonight we're, we're sitting here watching Ed Davis close the game, and, yeah, it makes sense in, in that you want to try to close the gap and make the playoffs, blah, blah, blah. But if you're Neil and you're sitting here talking about the best thing about is getting this third draft pick, then you're looking to retool for the future. That's what you're doing. But
1: the the players aren't thinking that though. There's no, no way. There's no, no way, way, they way they, possible they can't. that Damon Lillard is going. Okay, let's let's black, let's pack it in until the summer.
0: No, you, you can't because that changes the culture of a team. But as a GM or a president of basketball operations or whatever the the official title is, it's it's one of those things where he has to make that call for them.
1: Uh oh, uh oh, Dan. Uh oh, <laughs> topical relevance right here. Uh, Ed Davis just blazed- out. Okay, so you got your topical <laughs> relevant. This is what happens when you when you podcast live during a game when the trades breaking and all that stuff, folks. So reader blazer tag under the Neil Olshey interview with Brooke Olsendam uh, that's posted on our site, and of course Brooke with CSNNW, wonderful job she does. We love Brooke, right? I mean, yay, we're all Team Brooke, yes, right? Yes, Brooke is fantastic. so. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, see, there's something we all agree on. It. with the, You know what? With those three draft picks, the Blazers should just draft Brooke all three times. <laughs> so anyway, uh, reader, Blazer Tag has a quote from Olshay, and I've not heard the uh, entire interview because we've been recording, but uh, we will assume he's telling the truth. From Olshay, I think we've done a very nice job in the draft so far drafting guys like Dame, CJ, and AC, Alan Crabb. And Placer Tag says, anyone notice there's someone he left out? Damn there's a lottery right.
0: pick missing in there somewhere.
1: <sighs> there is a lottery pick missing in there somewhere. Wonder who that could be right on cue. D- you D- go D-Mail. to Team Myers, and then, yeah, and then here comes little Shay uh, with that. Well, you know what? You know why? Should have traded up for Andre Drummond, too. But Again, may not have been possible, but, uh, yeah, that was, that may go down in the glaring, uh, glaring mistake when they were talking. Anyway,
0: since since we're doing this kind of a live thing, Myers Leonard just closed Uh, down on Paul Millsap and stripped him as he drove. It's a three point game with less than two minutes. Myers don't fail me now. You got a minute and 40 to prove yourself here, big fella. And I will say this just on, on the topical Myers Leonard, his shooting has been absolute garbage tonight and it's been beyond frustrating but defensively, he's been fantastic and the Blazers haven't really done him any kind of service as far as bailing him out when he does go to help off of somebody getting torched on a, on a straight line drive or a pick and roll from the perimeter. Um, I, I think a lot of times people see a lob on the backside just like Dwight Howard when Dennis Schroeder is penetrated and Leonard stepped up and they see that as Leonard's failure. No, it's it's two parts of failure. It's a failure of the perimeter defender uh, to corral the driving point guard and it's the failure of the backside defender to not get over and get a body on somebody like Dwight Howard who you know is going to roll to the rim. So oh, that, and that's kinda that's yeah, that, that's my, my basketball frustration level right now.
1: Portland centers are just freshly washed sheets. They get hung out to dry yeah. like all the time by their guards. That, that that said, that's funny because this entire listening audience is now like a day into the future at least. <laughs> and they're probably <laughs> laughing at your Myers like because they know that they know he what blows happens. it at the last play of the game. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a dunk and he's going to put it off the back rim or uh, something. Don't anyway. Do that to me. <laughs> well I mean uh let's talk about like non-myers options Ed, Ed resurrection for Ed Davis. At least until Nurk shoots uh, shoots up. No, <laughs> please God, no. Uh, until he suits up. <laughs> um, so Ed, is this is this a chance to get uh, back into the rotation and provide? He's now kind Out of, of bench a bench steady purgatory? Vet... Sure, yeah.
0: I mean, tonight he's been fantastic. He's been the guy that they've gone to to handle both Millsap and Dwight Howard. Um, yep. And uh, I mean, that's not an easy task. And for the longest of times. I've lamented over and over and over again that the guys that the pantheon of this team that are the foundation are Dame, CJ and Ed Davis. Ed Davis is a guy that you, he's the kind of player that you want on your team because you know what you're supposed to get from him night in night out. That's what we got from him all last season. It's what he's really been in the NBA for the last couple of years. This year, don't know what happened. Um, but the guy that's playing tonight, the guy that's playing right now, or was playing right now until he fouled out, was having a heck of a night. And yep. he's the kind of guy that he's going to give you what he gives you when he's got everything rolling. And I think a lot of NBA fans in general overlook that kind of player because they think that they're so easy to find. They aren't. They're, those, those kind of guys are in, in short supply, and they stay in the NBA a long, long time because of what they can do. And they do it so consistently. Okay.
1: Maybe this might be the best epitaph on Plumlee, and I I think I like Mace. I mean, I I like what Mason Plumlee did. I respect what he did on the court. I respect the attitude he brought. At the same time, feel like you're missing anything right now? Obviously, like we said earlier in the podcast, you're going to miss the passing. You're going to miss a couple things that nobody else will provide. But Ed Davis, Myers Leonard stepping in, do you feel like you've really seriously skipped a beat? probably not yeah are, you, uh, are, you, are you
0: sitting here lamenting the fact that mason plumley isn't out there guarding dwight howard i yeah, mean no. let, let's let's go run down the list of centers that are big strong and athletic that mason plumley has been able to deal with on a regular basis i yeah, i, I exactly. don't have my 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 quick board right now where i can hit the crickets sorry
1: <laughs> exactly. So, uh, let's uh, draft picks. Three draft picks. Let's assume Olshay does not use them all. That uh, one of those is set for a deal. Uh, big name still out there, obviously, is Jaleel Okafor. Some speculation via Twitter, very light speculation that Okafor could still be headed to the Blazers. That it could be Okafor and Nurkic. How do you see? How do you see that shaking out if it were to happen? Understanding it's probably kind of a long shot.
0: I mean, if if you're just talking about retaining assets on young contracts and you're kicking out one of those bloated contracts and trying to reload for next season, then, yeah, it makes sense. But if you're talking about, you know, roster construction, then the Blazers are just shifting from being guard heavy to big heavy, right?
1: I mean, that... yeah. Although, you know, would you take Okafor and Nurkic over like any two bigs that the Blazers have so far?
0: Yeah, and that's uh, and here's the thing. If you want right. to take a step further, if you want to talk about tanking, if you're truly going to tank, and you get those guys, you get Okafor and you get Nurkic, and you struggle and fall all the way down to number five, number six. Do you know how many guards are available in the talks top six in the NBA draft that's coming up? It's yeah, guard, I mean, guard, 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 guard. That's the draft. And then- <laughs>
1: Yeah, then possible trade bait and six moves ahead, you're like going, hmm, maybe something can happen. But <laughs> I think the Blazers, if they take on Okafor and they get Nurkage, first of all, they may have actually found the only way possible to make their defense worse. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, look out, Denver and L.A. We have, <laughs> Here, hold my beer and watch this. <laughs> uh, but also, okay, if Nurkage didn't like Playing behind Jokic in Denver, <laughs> Nurkic is not going to like playing behind Okafor in Portland. I mean, Well, oh, you can play
0: Okafor, the power forward.
1: <laughs> yeah, you think so? <laughs> no, I mean, Nurkic no, and Okafor,
0: not a chance.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, and, and talk about like okay. God, I'm going to steal disaster. your joke from
0: earlier. This is an ice defense. This is glacier defense. Yeah. I mean, that, that, well, there's just there's mm-hmm. no movement there.
1: Now, offensively, offensively, I think that would be a reformation. I mean, that that I, I would like. And frankly, I think I'd like that experiment for the same reasons that you do that. I don't think any any of these moves are going to resurrect this season. So play a lo- around a little bit. See if you can strike gold for for later. And I think Okafor and Nurkic. So
0: yeah. many screens. That's two massive bodies that can just crush yeah. people on picks.
1: Yeah. And, and I'm higher on Okafor than a lot of people. I mean, Philly is in a, was in a weird position. They're in a better position now. But sometimes the well is so poisoned you can't drink out of it even after it's been cleaned. Like when you know that tap water is not good, like even when it's better, you, you don't want to drink out of that sink. So, like so that, I yeah. think, yeah, I think Okafor is... is Kind of in, could be in that position, but boy, I mean, all the combustibility though, it's not just the defense, the potential for just locker room, not disintegration, but a circus is pretty darn high <laughs> with, with, with those two. It would be fun to see uh, any, any other, unless of course you want the Blazers to be sane and do well. Uh any other deals out there on the horizon that you could see practically happening that you're still interested in a week or so from the trade deadline?
0: You know, if you're talking about making deals for the future, a guy like Serge Ibaka still kind of comes to mind. Um, hmm? But if you bring him in, number one, it's going If that, if a deal like that happens, if you're a blazer fan, that deal is happening for one of two reasons. There's either a handshake agreement, which don't exist in the NBA, quote unquote, that Ibaka's coming back next season, or number two is purely a salary dump, and it'll be the the guy going out will be Alan Crabb, Maurice Harkless, or Myers Leonard. It'll Be one of those three guys. To clear. And a draft
1: pick will come back with Ibaka, and we'll have four.
0: Exactly, but I mean that's those are the those are the kind of moves that I think that, that Portland needs to look at. Now, if you're if Ibaka's here and coming back on the long term then I think you have what could end up being a solid foundation, Nurkic and Ibaka, going forward in, in, in your front court. I mean, it, it would bit- give you something that where well, you're not sitting there looking at wondering where the defensive liability is going to come from.
1: Right, and it's a better—that's a better balanced offensive front court than they have right now. I mean, Ibaka is drifting out to the perimeter, but if you have Nurkic, that's not as big of an issue than if you had Plumlee. So, I mean, I could see that working, but I mean, wouldn't you? Would you not have to go Doctor Evil on the on the on the salary roll? That's <laughs> like one billion dollars. Yeah, I no, mean, I mean that's, that's what yeah, you're looking
0: at, and that's that's the thing is is if. That move is going to be made. I think you kind of jeopardize, perhaps, the, the idea of tanking because is a good player. Um, and if you, if you put him out here to the play, he's going to be here for the long haul. you got to play him to, to build it up. That's essentially what the, the second half run is going to be for. And you're not going to lose as many games as necessary to get into that top six. Now, Portland's right now at number 11, but they're four games outside of, the, of a top four pick. Four.
1: Oh, don't that's that's it.
0: Four games. It's real easy to drop some games. Right now Atlanta's up 105-104 with 6.4 seconds to go. By the time you're listening to this, you're probably sitting there going, why did you remind me? Or you're sitting Give you're the ball elated. to
1: Myers. Give <laughs> the ball to Myers. Okay. Uh, so here's the deal. When is the last free agent, Portland's or anyone else's, that was not in any way restricted or coming off a rookie contract and et cetera. Uh, and was actually desirable around the league, who had any confidence in Portland. I mean, this is what you gotta worry about with Baca, right? But you're pulling him I out mean, of Orlando. Well, yes, but that doesn't mean, okay. If I <laughs> Come pull, on, if I pull furniture. you out of if I pull you out of an open cesspit and I say I have one in my backyard too. You're not going to jump into it. Hey, you know what? I we mean, can use
0: Maurice Harkless as a character witness. Okay, he he's experienced mm-hmm. both as well. And Maurice, mm-hmm. he, RFA or not, or signed late or not, I bet you he'd say that his experiences in Portland, in Portland, are better than his experiences in Orlando, and would would convince yeah, Mister but- Mister Ibaka to join
1: with all due respect, Mo Harkless, as much as we like him and as much as he's given the Blazers this year over and above what he could have is not Serge Ibaka. Uh, he's not in the same stage of his career as Serge Ibaka, nor does he have the same cachet and nor does he have frankly that many choices. i I at this point I would have basically zero confidence that the Blazers could convince anyone to re-sign, and I know all of you are going. You were talking about Cousins. I'll take the chance for Demarcus because a I think Demarcus is a little crazy, and uh, b that I mean his level of talent would be worth it. But Serge, I bet he would just say, "Yeah, I'll think about Portland. Leverage, leverage. Now I'm going elsewhere." Uh, just go ahead I, and Chandler
0: uh, Parsons that uh, one.
1: Yeah, it's oh ouch, oh no. Uh, well, the Blazers needed to score at the end of overtime, and they gave one to Atlanta instead. Apparently, that's the end of that. Was it Meyers' fault?
0: This was not Meyers' fault. They uh, they ran uh, out of timeouts uh, in overtime there's and uh, couldn't blame thoughts. Yeah.
1: Well, see, there's a bright side. <sighs> yep. Okay. So, I mean,
0: Let yeah. The stealth tank, era begin. Okay, sir. So,
1: would would I be excited about Serge, though, coming here and teaming up with this team in the short term and hope he would stay? Probably would at this point. Um, look, we had an article uh, uh, earlier this week, Dwight Howard. Was he the one who got away? I mean, we just watched him clank 92% of his free throws tonight. Still, his team won, and uh, Dwight and Howard is measur- measurably better than any of the big men that we have mentioned tonight outside of that brief mention of DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, Apparently rumor has it that the Blazers made an offer to him. Rumor has it that he went to Atlanta instead more, more case for the Serge Ibaka. Don't do it file. Uh, Would Dwight have made a huge difference on this team? Do you think?
0: Yeah. (laughs) That's that's the understatement of the year. Uh, He's yeah a phenomenal screen setter. He is a legitimate post presence. He, for all the headaches that people talk about, it, he doesn't try this or he pouts about not getting as touches as that well, the Atlanta Hawks have the fifth best defense in the league right now. And while yeah. Al Horford and Paul Millsap were, were working together, they had a very good defense, but it wasn't this good. You pair a mobile athletic high IQ defender like Paul Millsap with a mobile athletic high IQ defender and shot blocker and rebounder like Dwight Howard. Voila, defense. I mean, it's literally that simple. And people can say, well, yeah, Dennis Schroeder gets after it on the outside. Yeah, he does. Bazemore's an, uh, an okay defender. But, I mean, they throw a lot of guys out there. This is a team that featured Kyle Korver for long stints of times before he got traded. So, yeah, you can cover up a, a lot of nastiness when you've got interior defenders like those guys so it's it's one of those things where yeah of course he's gonna make a a difference and it's uh, to me i think it's a much much more staggering difference than a lot of people are willing to give dwight howard credit for and that's just because of his persona
1: and you know if you didn't want a guy who complains about his touches in minutes (laughs) (laughs) you just got one and it's uh it's not dwight howard uh so we'd be remiss if we finished the podcast without talking about the other big development of the week. It seems like about a century ago at this point. Evan Turner out for more than a month, maybe a month and a half. What a, <laughs> Honestly, okay, when you first, look at
0: it right now, I, I think that, first of all, he was. it's a bummer because he just kind of was getting into the peak of his groove so far. So from that aspect alone, it sucks. But, I mean, if you're talking about tanking, and I know I could keep going back to this, Neil Olshay was basically just given a gift by the basketball gods that says, oh, your second best playmaker's got a broken hand? Here, trade your third best playmaker and, and guess where you get to go? The land of the lottery. And, I mean, it's it's literally that easy in my head. Um, if I'm the Blazers, I shut him down for the rest of the season. Because even if he's back in quote-unquote six weeks, he's still got to rehab it. Everybody always wants to talk about when a guy returns or is healthy. That's when he's able to get back into basketball activities again. That's when he's able to start dribbling and using his hand and going through more than just the the basic stuff. I mean, he's got his hand on a cast. I don't know if anybody's ever had their hand wrist in a cast. It sucks. And when you get it out of it, it takes a couple weeks to build up the strength and the flexibility and all that kind of stuff back into it. By that time you're you're looking at, you know, mid to late April. You're in the playoffs when he's basically back to 100%. Why push it? Just shut him down. Just let him ride out the season, get healthy, get right, and and move on with it for next season.
1: Our own David McKay talked to Terry Stotts. Stotts, name-checked Gerald Henderson last season, veteran, et cetera, et cetera. You have your choice. Contract, irrespective. Let's not even talk about contract numbers. Henderson or Turner. Which one would you take if you want to make this team better?
0: As weird as it sounds, probably Henderson. I think he fit no. better because of his, his skill set. Evan Turner on a team that that needs somebody who's more ball dominant with the second unit and as a creator makes sense. I think what Portland needs is somebody who creates for themselves. With that second unit, they need another, they need a third guy who creates for themselves. And Gerald Henderson is that guy, and he was that guy. Um, defensively and athletically, he gives you a little bit more than Turner. But what Turner does give you across the board is probably more flexibility. Um, so, in, in that aspect, I don't think either one of those guys are, are perfect players for this team, but. If you're asking me what's going to make the team better, if you're talking about being better, everyone healthy, the Blazers pursuing a playoff spot this year, Gerald Henderson would be that guy. Um,
1: Evan Turner, Gerald Henderson, or Aaron
0: Aflalo? is oh. probably the, the best of, of those three when he's fully healthy and engaged, and health has always been an issue with him. Because he can't. Wrong. Create... It's still.
1: It's still Henderson. It's still Henderson. You think so? we'll just, we'll just cut that off. Yeah. That's. that's I no, so There's something
0: wrong. about Afallo. And while I didn't like that trade, I, I've always liked Afallo's game because he can do a bevy of all the things. But I don't think he does any of the things other than knockdown threes better than any of them. So that's kind of how I look at it.
1: Before we uh, leave here, I have a little present for you. Oh. Myers. Myers Leonard, against the Hawks. 24 minutes, one for seven field goal yeah, shooting, zero for that. six from the three-point line. He did have six rebounds and three assists, but five personal fouls and two total points in an overtime game. Now, Dwight Howard, he, he only took seven shots, and he took a ton of free throws, uh, 19 points, 16 rebounds. Um, it was a bad matchup to start Myers with, and, and I agree that Myers Leonard's defense is uh is improving. I, I, one on I like one him with,
0: with Howard tonight. I was impressed with what he did. Howard wasn't oh, well, able I, to okay. push him off his spot or anything along those lines.
1: Compare it to his like first two seasons. You remember that? Because I remember oh, that. Yeah, I was, mean, it I it took some of the notes on, on dude and it was like, Oh my gosh. It's like, he didn't even speak the language. Yeah. Like, first of all, he would miss like every spot. Like, he would just not get there. And then, I mean, Drazen Petrovic was the last guy I saw look that lost. (laughs) And then after that, he got to his spots, but he couldn't really do anything. He was like, I'm getting here, now I'm going to do this thing. And it didn't matter that he did the thing. So he has improved greatly there, but may not be quite at Dwight Howard's level yet. So, well, we could talk about Myers Leonard and maybe, uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you this. Myers Leonard will not have any bad games between the time we now and the time we talk next, so there's that. I mean, he will have nothing extra against him. Uh, <laughs> next time we will talk, it will be after the All Star game. We will see how that goes if CJ McCollum uh, wins the three point shooting we, we contest. We do have that
0: to cheer for at least. Uh, whether or not your mm-hmm. team tank or anti tank, you can you can absolutely be assured that. Tankers and non-tankers alike will be pulling for C.J. McCollum in the three-point contest.
1: Yes, and uh, also, well, that may not be true because it may happen that we have more to talk about at the trade deadline, so we may throw in a special podcast somewhere. But we will see. That's all in the future. For now, all we can tell you is the Blazers lost and Leonard sucked. And uh, (laughs) we will leave it at that for uh, Dan Morang. I am, well, that's okay. You were right about the Plumlee trade, so there you go. For uh, go. For, for Dan Morang, I'm Dave Deckard. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time on the Blazers Edge podcast.